Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Okay, I am naming 2022 the year of the artist. But what do you think? Every year we try to name the year, my husband and I. I think one year it was like the year of yes. Uh, there was another year that was the year of F that guy. You can imagine which year that was. Um, I think a couple years ago it was the year of clear vision. So every year we try to sort of give an idea of what's coming up. And this year I'm challenging myself to have the year of the artist. I don't know who it was. We were talking about Firecracker Department and we kind of had this moment of like, what? When we realized you can't spell Firecracker Department without art. Huh? I really truly believe that we can infuse art into everything we do. And as artists, I think it's a muscle that needs to be exercised, you know? If you were a, a pro football player, you wouldn't like, you know, binge watch TV a whole bunch, twiddle your thumbs, and then one day expect to be able to like run the length of the field. Oh gosh, that's all I know about football. So as an artist, how are you exercising your muscles regularly? That's what I've been thinking about. That means like putting art into everything. And I think everybody's an artist, everybody. I really truly believe that. I mean, my father was an organic chemistry professor and I think he was an artist. One year he gave me a framed picture of a molecule that he was really proud of. And I was like, that's fantastic. So how are you infusing art into your world? Can you put art into things like the meals you create, the emails you write, the presents you wrap, every little thing, the walks you do? How do you infuse art into your world? That's my challenge this year, and I'm really gonna lean into my art this year and recognizing the art that we do. I'm challenging myself. You wanna come along for the ride? Okay, share with me what art you're creating, whether it's a craft you've made, whether it's a meal you've created, I'll, I'll take it all. I find it all so inspiring, just so you know, because it really does like spark ideas for me that maybe take me to the next level of what I'm working on. Thank you for all those bursts of inspiration. If you want to reach out to me and share what you're working on, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com is a great place to reach me. Or of course, on our platforms at firecrackerdept. And you can find all the information on our website, firecrackerdepartment.com. Our guest this week, oh, I'm just so happy. This is lined up so perfectly with what I'm thinking about. This week is Vancouver-based screenwriter, story editor, award-winning director, and not only the co-head of our writing department, but just an all-around artist. Like, you see what she's creating and how she's supporting, and it's through her art. It's Lisa Lafferty. I mean, it's also in her name. You can't spell Lafferty without laugh. And now we just celebrated Liesl's one year anniversary at Firecrack Department, and oh boy, a lot has happened in one year. She has had two of her original scripts read at our script department readings, Jars, a short comedic film about a woman who turns her obsession into art. I get it, I have so many jars. And The Gravedigger's Daughter, a short horror film about feminism in 1787. Now. This is where I have some super exciting news for you. And I have to tell you, when Liesl first joined Firecrack Department as a core member, she kind of approached me and said, look, I love what's going on. I want to support it, but I'm limited with my time. So I'm going to work more as an advisor and just here to support what's happening. And oh, I'm so glad that that actually isn't what happened <laughs> because when she started with us she was supporting the script reading series and her input was so valuable it was instant that i saw how much i needed 
a dose of Liesl Lafferty in what we were creating. And she is now the head of our new writing department. What we have done is we have reimagined our writing department to include the script department. And Liesl is one of our co-heads along with Fran Caviello. So all the writing events, panels, workshops are all under writing department. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, what is going on with the writing department? Okay, we have a quarterly script reading series. The next one is Sunday, February 20th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We also have weekly writing bursts on Thursdays, not only at 6 p.m. Eastern Time like we usually do, but also now including 12 noon Eastern Time. Yeah, two times now, because what happened was Fran and Liesl realized that there was a need to include more international firecrackers at different time zones. So we have two times every Thursday, and that way firecrackers from all over the world, no matter what time zone you are in, you can join. Also, really excited about this, we have the Save the Cat Book Club coming up. This is gonna be an eight-week workshop that will take you through the book chapter by chapter. So I'm really jazzed to go through that with Liesl and whoever else joins in. Now don't worry, we got all this information in our show notes and of course on our website, firecrackerdepartment.com. Just really important to make sure you register for Save the Cat Book Club as soon as you can because there are limited spaces. I mean, there's so many great things happening in our writing department to get your creative juices going. So join along for the ride. Now, okay, Liesl Lafferty. Liesl focuses mainly on creating and developing new works, which I love. I've known Liesl since when I lived in Vancouver and I always just watched and admired how she would take scripts and nurture them into hits like time and time again hits after hits and i was always like oh i want to work with her so badly and look at my life now right super lucky in 2020 she facilitated script writing workshops in vancouver with wet ink collective a writer-driven initiative for women Western Gold Theatre, a premier company that focuses on sharing and celebrating the talents of senior professional theatre artists, and Real Wheels Theatre, a theatre that creates and produces performances that deepens understandings of the disability experience. At Real Wheels in 2020, Liesl was the dramaturge for their inaugural Playwright-in-Residence. I mean, she just helps a lot. She's so supportive. You can't spend 10 minutes with Liesl and not feel the support of your art through her artist. Really, it's amazing. Liesl performed at Judith Fair in 2020, The Republic of Inclusion, a short autobiographical one-person comedy about the isolation of disability. She won the Jesse Richardson Larry Lilo Award for Outstanding Direction of a Play for Directing House by Daniel McIver and directing A Town Called Hockey at the Arts Club Theatre, which I saw and loved. And she also co-wrote that. Liesl was dramaturge for Fugues Theatre via Beatrice by Jen Griffin, which was nominated for a Jesse Richardson Outstanding Original Script Award in 2009, and Liesl received Jesse nominations for directing and producing Drinking with Persephone by Jen Griffin, and for co-writing and directing Bloodline. Yeah, so as I said, she has her finger in a lot of pots, and it feels like those pots are all sort of golden. While Liesl was studying for her MFA in creative writing at the University of British Columbia, she created and produced the first six episodes of the Liesl Lafferty podcast. Podcast, podcast. Yeah, where she interviewed theater artists from around the world, including Canadian theater guests like superstar Brad Fraser, Alison Kelly, and Yvette Nolan. After listening to this episode and getting to know Liesl, I mean, why not go over to listen to more of her? You're going to be finished this podcast and then you're going to go, I want more. I want more Liesl Lafferty. So go over to her podcast. And of course, we've got you in the show notes. 
Okay, I'm excited, obviously, and I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So here we go. Here's my chat with Liesl Lafferty. Hi, Liesl Lafferty. Hello. Hello, my friend. Firstly, I'm so happy to be doing this because I always love this, like, these uh, podcast chats. Because I'm like, I know Liesl. I've known her for, for years. And then I find out this whole other thing. Did you always know you were going to be involved in writing? Because I know you've started in directing and writing and dramaturging, but I feel like I'm watching your career evolve as we speak right now, as I look at you. You know, you always, you know did you always want to be a writer? I think I used to be too lazy to be really? a writer. It's really, really hard, but I've always been a storyteller okay. since I was a little girl, always telling the stories. And then, you know, I fancy myself an actor. I have a big family. And so I was one of those ones putting on shows, making yep. the whole family come in after dinner. And in the seventies, you know, there was inflation. So I decided that I would have to charge them. <laughs> so it cost it cost them a dime to come in but of course my brother was to growl at me and I'm like okay you can come in for free. oh my god I was gonna say did your audiences go like go down did they go up when you started charging <laughs> I even would put on uh, an apron so that I could collect the money and put it in the pocket and then put that aside and then oh go in god. and do the show for the so family. you were like the performer producer box office exactly and then i did end up working a lot of years in the box office and i thought that was uh very funny that is very funny funny setup when you said storytelling were you writing or were you like no okay not- everybody gather around i have a story to tell yeah just just storytelling just you know i loved like carol burnett and we yeah. lived on a farm so i would be out i would be out like monologuing or recreating oh. the scenes while watering the flowers and you know, doing the chores, I'd be just by myself saying, saying them. And plus we had a couple of um, costumes, like we had this old lady wig and my people just loved when I would do a little skit (laughs) and when the guests would come over and I'd be this old lady coming out of the bathroom. And so I'd do a little little, uh, gig for all the guests that would come over the house and perform my old lady. That's fantastic. Does she have a name? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. All right. I love that. I mean, I have so much in line with that kind of stuff because we also had like a tickle trunk of costumes that I would like, this is the character today. Uh, and I also ran box office and I did my own tickets and I perforated the tickets with a pin because <laughs> I wanted to be professional. <laughs> yeah. And then I had one of those little, you know, those, um, I don't even know what they're called, but I wanted one desperately. I think the old timer like bus bus drivers used to have them and they were like change uh, oh yeah stickers. I yeah. Used to have one of those so let me give you lucky <laughs> that's the oh the show's a quarter oh uh well no we didn't have loonies so the show's a dime I'm gonna give you 15 cents change just a second oh man I'm envious uh, my 11 year old is extremely right? envious yes I, mean, I should have seen that I was gonna be producer from those days why didn't I see that more clearly and then by the time I was in grade five I, we had to, um, our teacher gave us a short story, Mrs. Velasco, and uh, we were split into groups and we had to perform, we had to make this into a performance. And I looked at the other people and I fancied myself an actor, right? Obviously yeah. I'm going to star no. in the show. You've been performing for years at that <laughs> That's point. Right. That's yes. right. And, but I looked at the rest of my group and I'm like, oh, these 
they're not gonna be able to figure it out i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to direct <laughs> i used to have it on my resume as my first directing credit <laughs> just for it. the fun of it because in grade five i directed as i grew up having those kind of artist inclinations and there was a there's a turning point when i went oh is this also a job do you remember <laughs> like when you realized that it could actually be your profession well a couple of things i remember in university not knowing not being brave enough so uh -huh. earlier i said lazy maybe it was just not being brave enough mm -hmm. or not having enough validation Mm -hmm. you know to go oh yeah security I could, be, I could be an artist for sure yeah nobody's told you other than your audience that is like giving you 10 cents a show to say like you should keep going and I gotta say my sister Shannon was my best audience she just thought I was hilarious period awesome. so yeah. that was I always think of her as my first best audience now your audience always be filled with Shannon yes exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so I remember sort of falling into it in the university. Uh, I had a terrible high school, not high school, like middle school theater mm -hmm. teacher who mm -hmm. was just, she was just too angry. Like I, I just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take typing instead. She was just a monster. I thought I don't have to do this, but I took typing. So that was good because yeah. that also added to uh, the skill set. So by the time I got, I took, then I went to a couple of different high schools and took uh, the theater the whole way and loved it the whole way. And then I sort of still didn't know when I went into university and. So what did uh, you do but, general? Going to yeah, I, used, general? I started off general, but you know, I took acting class in the first year. So yeah, I was in, I was in from the beginning, but I do remember an aha moment. I went to uh, London on a semester. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the university owned a house in Camden Town. And oh my God. I know. And so I got to go there. And as I arrived, I was the first one to arrive. And the last person from the previous term left. And he said, Oh, if you're a theater person, you have to go and see Stephen Burkoff. And it closes tomorrow. And you get you get student tickets. And I was the only one there. So I actually went by myself to a matinee. I took this yes. kid's advice. And I sat in the audience and watched Stephen Burkoff perform with Linda Marlowe, I think is her name. And he, um, it was decadence. So mm -hmm. they both played two roles. Mm -hmm. I was in the 10th row. It cost me like five pounds or right. something, right? Because yeah. I was a student. So single seat and, uh, oh yeah, my mind, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Yeah. I, I just, I was like, I'm in the right place. This, wow. this, is, this is the one he, it was, uh, it was an incredible performance and he had written it. So I thought, oh man, you're a superstar, I'm in. Yeah, was it something about like, cause I love those moments, I think, I think it's important as, as storytellers to keep telling those stories because they reverberate. And also, I also think everybody has those turning point moments where they see something, they're experiencing something that hits their heart. Do you remember what it was for you? Was it that he had written it and performing it? I think it was his performance. You yeah. know, they were both playing two characters opposing one super posh and the other low, low right. status. So, uh, yeah, I was just dazzled by the performance for sure. Yeah. So then you went back and were like, okay, I'm going to really dedicate myself to art, not necessarily specifically writing, directing. Uh, it was, yeah, directing. Yeah, I, I yeah. directed a lot. And then I actually ended up going to sort of, I went part-time for an extra year of university to get the, my final credits. And right. that way I could act in two plays and direct two plays because uh -huh. I was in two terms. So right. I and then when did you hang up your your old lady wig like uh <laughs> because i think that that's also a turning point it must have been when you kind of realized you had more passion for one art than the other acting you know it was being i think i was being surrounded with 
super passionate actors. And, oh, no, I remember the moment. I think it was also in London. Mm -hmm. The passionate actors made me feel like it was so clear that their path mm -hmm. and, my, and mine was still a bit fuzzy. Uh -huh. So I thought, oh man, I would have to be as passionate as them about acting to really be an actor. But then one time we were doing an assignment and there's two of the best actors said, Liesl, will you look at this scene? There's something that's not working and we can't figure out what it is. And uh -oh. so I sat back and of course it was clear as day that the, the scene ended up being very emotional and very tragic. But it started out happy, two sisters or whatever, happy to see each other. And they they started with the end emotion. It was super easy to say, oh, you guys just flipped that thing at the beginning. You're really happy to see each other. And they're like, oh, right. OK, OK. It makes complete sense. And then by the end, it's a it's right. horrible. So horrible you had scene, like so. dramaturge in your in your veins, <laughs> I guess. Like so. where did like where did you? Yeah, I don't think I would be able to see that as clearly as I can now. Like, I mean, in the olden days when people would say like, I see a play, I'm like, oh, I just don't like it. I didn't connect to it. Or I didn't feel like those are artists connected to their material. But where did you find the uh, those instincts? You know, I think it was working with my friend, Jen Griffin, who I worked with for many years. We did a play called Drinking with Persephone. And it was the classic. Mm -hmm. She literally handed me a stack of pages, some of it scrawled on cocktail napkins. And... I knew that I, I didn't know the word dramaturge, but I knew that, and she knew that she needed somebody. Right. And so that's all. We just started to work together and the magic came. I was like, mm -hmm. I think it'd be clearer if you said something else here. Mm -hmm. Oh, but it's supposed to just be this. And so uh, it really quickly came together and I started doing it a few years before I learned the word. Yeah. But don't you think like, I mean... Um, I worked with uh, Brian Quirt. Do you know Brian Quirt yeah, yeah. in Toronto? Mm -hmm. And he was like the first dramaturge that I've ever met. And I feel like the title dramaturgy was sort of uh, recognized in like the 90s. Whereas like, you, you know, you might've been doing it forever, but do you feel like it hadn't been established yet what that actually was to, to, to be a dramaturge? Yeah, I, I think I was right on that cusp. I was like, oh, there is a word and everybody's already talking about it. Yeah. And that's me. Yeah. And right. then I went to the literary managers and dramaturgs of the Americas conference that was did. here. Yeah. I think it was here at Vancouver. And, you know, when you're in the theater, you know, that feeling that you're surrounded by your people. Yes. And yeah. then I got to the dramaturgs and I'm like, these are my people. Mm. Like, it's super mm -hmm. fun hanging out with actors. But these, these are really my people. So... Yeah, I love that. that. I was right on the same wave there, yeah. So then, so then you're writing, directing, and dramaturging. And I feel like that's still what you did other than do now, as you know, unless it's the pandemic and then you can't be the director that you've wanted to be. So you've you've pivoted now. But it does feel like you have, let me see. Remember when we were talking about art in that last firecracker meeting? And I have to say, like, I, I'm so glad you spoke up about the passion that you have about art, because I see that in you so clearly when you get to uh, nurture and develop and you see things so clearly, but you also love it. Like, it, it, where's the balance for you of doing, pursuing your own thing and then developing others? Balance. That's such a cute word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't I adorable? You are. It's so cute. Um, there's no right, balance. balance uh, there's no, no balance. I, it's okay, then like, how do you make sense of that then? Because like you must have projects that are on your I, computer. Again, it's so much easier yeah. to take another person's art. They show up with clay 
and you just have to sort of dust it off and then there's the art and it's harder to write so it's harder to sit down in the chair and do your own stuff so yes I'm passionate and and super love it and it's easier than doing it myself I guess I don't I don't know does that sound right no it sounds absolutely absolutely correct so so then okay so you're you're tripping along you're writing, directing, and uh, producing, and except wait, I I was what I was a director. Yeah, and then I got this eye thing. Yeah, I want to. And talk then about I that. had to pivot, and now I'm a writer. Okay, because I remember so, talking about directing, and you said it, you couldn't do rehearsals anymore because yeah. of the of the lighting yeah. and things like that. Talk right. to me about that. Well, I just you know I have this uh, severe sensitivity to artificial light. And so while I took up the fight for a long time, it's like, I'm going to adapt my spaces. I'm going to do stuff outside. I kind of just got exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to do, I'm going to put my art on the page instead. There's a similarity between directing actors and directing writers. You know, things are different now. I recently went to, uh, I graduated from UBC with my MFA in creative writing. And I didn't go to UBC for 10, 15 years because of this eye condition thinking there's no way I can. How could I be in that institution inside? It's all terrible lighting that will make me very, very sick. But things have changed now. I got to go to UBC and ask for what I needed. And hundreds of people sat in only natural light, semi-dark rooms over the three years that I took my schooling there. Also very exhausting to have yeah. to ask every single time. So I hadn't, I never lost my passion for directing. I, I, I'm in, but uh, yeah, it's gotta be a special circumstance or a special project or mm-hmm. something. I previously did write, but all collab, mostly collaborations. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've always written in theater since the very beginning in the spirit of creating your own projects. Yeah. Uh, always collaboration. So very, very rarely my own. I feel like that's maybe so that's when we met, I, Liesl, was uh, when you were working with Dimitri and, and Rita and those folks. Yeah. Yes, you were also, I have a picture of you at the opening night of A Town Called Hockey, which uh, oh was... I co-wrote and directed at the Arts Club Theatre. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. you're there at the opening party. I showed you that picture. Yeah, we were friends with Dimitri and Rita and I did a play called Bloodline at mm-hmm. the uh, the Colch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was lots of fun to direct. We got a, a writing nomination for that one, actually. Yeah. But and, did you mourn? Did you mourn? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. What was that like? Because I... I I think that would have uh, broken my heart a little bit. Oh yeah, you're gonna make me cry. We're not even here for ten minutes yet, and I'm already with the tears. It's not my intention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my. It really is my jam. You know, I, I yeah. could leave the house with a pencil, and that's all I needed because yeah. I everything else was all in my head. So it was just such a joyful, beautiful job that wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I could just uh, do it, and I could take whatever came my way and work through it because the goal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super sad. Yeah. Yes, I mourned it. I think well, I'm still mourning it right now. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I get it. I think that sometimes, you know, we're taught in this world to be like, the glass is half full and make lemonade. And so you have made lemonade. You have turned your art into writing and dramaturgy. But I also think like, it's important to recognize what that means to you to, to not be able to direct. And like that, that it isn't like, like people take it for granted too. And I think that's a huge part. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you would still direct under the right circumstances. Yes. It's just, uh, as you said, like I can imagine the burnout factor when you're like, okay, I need natural light and <laughs> those things. But also, don't you feel like, gosh, I mean, to be your own advocate is, in, is super important, but it also exhausting. And I can yeah. imagine like at some point you're like, I got to take a break. Somebody else take the reins for folks dealing with these kind of eye impediments. Yeah. Well, it's funny. One of the symptoms is exhaustion. So it's already exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the exhaustion and pain are the two main symptoms. Pain is, can be tolerable. Exhaustion, there's almost nothing you can do with about that, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. you are beaten. To accommodate me means to, um, nobody else can see, right? Because there's not enough light. My family lives in the dark. Yeah. It really means everybody else has to sacrifice in order for me to have it. So whereas my brother's in a wheelchair, right? So we all can easily adapt and everybody else can have their normal day and there's a ramp and nobody has to go downstairs. To me, that people just come into the room and turn on the light. And then I have to, you know, almost every day, even with people that you know very well, because they're in their homes. So it's like a reflex. Mm-hmm. It's not, they're not thinking. So when you're with your family, cause you're wearing sunglasses now because, uh, cause you're on zoom and because it's, is it, and it's too bright in there or how do you exist? Like with your husband, does he like keep all the lights off? Like, how do you, yep. how do you, <laughs> yep. yeah. we live in the dark. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of magical too. Like sometimes when you know, I get up in the middle and I have prescription glasses as well. And I take, I don't have any visual aid at all. You can still get a glass of water. And, you know, there's so many things. I know exactly where everything is mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. We basically have, in can, it's not just the brightness. It's the actual light. Mm-hmm. So um, artificial light. Got so yeah. the older, the better, the newer, the worse. So we have an incandescent bulb in our kitchen. So he'll go into the kitchen, flip on the light. Sometimes he'll place, you know, this thing or something so that if he's going to be there for a long time and then in the evenings, we'll watch a, watch a movie or, or something. And I, I used to sit with a pillow and just peek over <laughs> and often I, I'll just pl- close my eyes or I go to the theater and I spend half the time with my eyes closed or more, you know, just kind of look, see, hear the voices. so you just have to adapt and roll through it was funny though when we were uh we lived in Winnipeg and for a while three years my husband to be close to my stepdaughter and she um all the friends would come over we were at the party house every weekend Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. day after school like we were just like come on over and the parents would come to the front door to pick up their child and the whole place would be dark and they'd be (laughs) like like, what are you guys doing in there (laughs) but actually you know, the kids would just immediately adapt. I'd say, listen, I can't take, when you're in there, go ahead, do whatever you want. And then when I come in, we'll have to do this. And then here's the food. And, you know, just the kids yeah. were the easiest to adapt. Right. How do you think, I mean, gosh, we, like, I think you probably were an adaptable person before, but how do you think that experience and the experience you're living with your, your eyesight disability, how do you think that's affected and led you as an artist? Well, I guess that's just the thing. I was forced to pivot and writing, I can control the time and how much time I spend on the computer. I have an old computer, big old tube computer. Oh, it's an autumn tube computer? (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Copper. So I just have more control over it. So I had to just go down a different path. Yeah, but that's like, so technically that's how you have adapted, but artistically. Like, do you feel like that has infused your artistic voice in any way? 
Well, I'm in the right position to, you know, now there's more inclusion on stage and in film, and mm -hmm. I'm certainly in the right position to, uh, you know, the, I'm writing a Christmas yes. film, yes. and there's a blind character in it, and, you know, the compliments I get from my writing group are, it, it, the fact that she's blind has nothing to do with the plot yeah. or anything that happens, so... Uh, I, I do a lot of incorporating into my pieces. I, I also work a lot with people with disabilities. So that's, that's been good too, to expand my horizons. Yeah, I think that's, that's sort of like a, a message that we're all learning again and again, like, you know, X number of years ago, every show, every play, every TV show was um, white dudes because that's all we all knew. And now several years ago, people are like, oh, wait a second. What happens if that doctor is a woman what? <laughs> and now what happens if it's a you know um a doctor that has a disability it's it, it's all these things that you're suggesting you're putting into your scripts because you're dealing with it and then I'm kind of like that's our job isn't it isn't it yeah. our job to keep our brains open to like other voices other than just our own yeah yeah how do you how do you do that how do you how do you if you weren't dealing with your disability how do you make sure that you have a variety of voices within the work that you're doing well, I guess I just, just expose myself to a variety of different people mm -hmm. and places. And it's one of the things that has been hard, I think, but also a gift in just in, in a career in the arts in general is mm -hmm. there's no nine to five. There's never the same group. There's never, it's always changing, always new. So you mentioned the word balance earlier. I think with a nine to five, you get a little bit more balance. You know when you're going to exercise, you know when you're going to eat, right. you know when you're going to relax. But, you know, even at theater school on the, the weekends, you're building sets all weekend. Everybody else is going out to the football game and stuff. Right. So uh, it's just always been a hodgepodge of whoever comes along. And, you know, that's when I, I worked, I was the artistic director of Theater Terrific for people with disability here in Vancouver. And whoever showed up is the person that I was working with, right? So it's up to them to come. Yeah. And then, and then whoever it is, I'm good. Let's go. What do you want? Yeah. Because if somebody wants to act, you can't force somebody to act, right? <laughs> They're an actor and they show up and say, can yeah. I act? And I go, yes, I can work with you. Right. So it, it's kind of goes the other way. I, I just have to sort of be out there in the world and gather people along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your, I actually kind of like the idea that, you know, you can't really force anybody to create really. Right. You know what I mean? Like when you said like act, I want you to act. Oh, <laughs> I want you to start writing. Like, no, like it's going to have to come from my heart to my pen or my heart to my stage or my voice or whatever it is. So it's kind of an interesting thing that you can't, you can't forest art. Yeah. And similarly, one of the things I was really proud of at Theatre Terrific was I never asked the people what their disability was. Mm -hmm. And I could always tell on the phone, whether I was speaking to the parent or the person or the attendant of some sort, there was always a, here's the name, here's the number, this was the time. And then there would always be this pause where I was supposed to ask what the disability was, Right. but it didn't actually ever matter. Right. Because if people needed an attendant in the class, the attendant would stay. Yeah. If the, if the parent would stay, fine. If they didn't need them, then they wouldn't be there. And so I really didn't learn anything about disability in my four years there because uh, we were just, you know, 
people wanted to to act or write or you know I, some people actually I found out along the way didn't even have a disability there was this one woman who was just very sick right all the time so she was very shy so she wasn't used to being out in front of people right and so she brought in I got her to bring in what she wanted to do and she brought in a poem and uh I said uh okay well you're going to stand here and say this poem and then because she's so shy I had a movement piece going on beside her to distract yeah. and she's like no no I'm going to be standing behind the curtain <laughs> and I was like okay today you can stand behind the curtain tomorrow you're going to see that there's movement and then you, you don't have to stand behind the curtain so yeah of course she, and there's a million stories like that of theater terrific just empowering people and uh and how great it was for all of us i mean that kind of goes to you know looking after yourself but also like like you know if somebody comes into your space with theater terrific they'd be like look this is what i need but you've also obviously set up a space that like you know it's wheelchair accessible so yeah. it's not like okay we're gonna have to lift somebody downstairs or upstairs or whatever it is which I think has has changed drastically. Yeah, it was wheelchair accessible. And also I very quickly found I needed volunteers. I yeah. needed help because people did need a little bit more individual time yeah. or um, there were, because anybody, because everybody was welcome, there was a vast variety of disabilities. You know, one woman, I didn't know whether or not I was communicating with her. Whereas the other one of the guys mm. named George, he would always ball me out for not being enough of an intellectual <laughs> because yes. I didn't read the newspaper and he right. read the newspaper and I, so he wanted to have more intelligent conversations with me and I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for him. So. Um, I mean, I don't get that. I think you're, you're a real smarty pants, but, but where did this come from? Where, like, where, what, what's, what's driving you for all of this? <laughs> that's a good question i'm not sure i know the answer i guess like you you said you pick up people along the way you figure it out along the way that's a skill like the skill of going i don't know how to do something i'm going to figure out and i'm going to do it isn't always accessible some people are like i don't know how to do something i'm going to go back to bed right so <laughs> what's the thing that drives you to keep learning to keep adapting to keep creating I think it's the collective or the mutual, the shared passion that result, the, the end result is going to come. So, you know, my favorite thing is somebody who shows up as prepared as me, then there's no stopping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, film, television, theater is all um, shared. All art is shared. You have to have an audience, right? So somewhere in there, I found the passion. I remember when I started to work with Jen Griffin, she came and she was staying at my house. We did the play in my garage the first time, the first spring room venue to Love Vancouver it. Theater, yes. Vancouver Fringe. And I had everything ready. The house was clean. We're going to start working. I got my computer out. We already know each other. We even, we even had several meetings. And I go into the kitchen, my perfectly clean kitchen, and she's poured herself a coffee and left coffee grounds. <laughs> and my inner rage goes. Rage. <laughs> And then I think to myself, am I going to fight with this woman about coffee grounds? What a waste of time. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not going to do that. Her job is to write and act. And I will do whatever it takes to facilitate that. Because 
she was so gifted. Mm. I just knew, I just knew she was, it was, I was on page seven of her script before I was like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Cause you could tell how gifted she was. So that's the moment that always makes me think it's like, do we worry about those mm -hmm. things or do we just go out? Let's put your art. What's your art. Let's, let's get inside you and see, and see you flourish. Yeah. But and then she went on to win Jesse's for both writing and acting in that piece. That's a, yeah. She's an incredible artist. 100%. But the coffee grounds, it's a great story because I think that we do get held up on coffee grounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if Jen's listening to this, you have taught everybody a valuable lesson. Um, because I do think, because then, like, I don't, I don't know why. Like, is it personal? Do we, we let those kind of things stop us from being creative because, I don't know, we take things personally or I can't create if you're going to disrespect my kitchen with coffee grounds. Like, you could have chosen two different paths there and you chose to put the art as a priority yeah well it's time i think is what you're talking about she's it's my time to clean up the coffee grounds oh no it's also my issue she doesn't care that there's coffee grounds only i care right. so that's my thing so i'll clean up the coffee grounds and we'll get on right with yeah creating art is it a drive to collaborate then that keeps you moving forward and keeps you creating? i guess so i think it was you know somewhere in the it must be shared mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. I just always found myself to be uh the great audience member I'm like do I get it or don't I get it I feel right. like uh, uh, like um I don't know what the word is representative of a wide group somehow I don't know why because mm -hmm. I'm appreciator of so much or I study and concentrate and I'm not exactly sure I don't have to collaborate. I'm I'm happy to to try to write on my own. Then you have to have somebody read it, right? Like so, I mean, are so you though? Know, I feel like you're not like I feel like you're the kind of person that needs to have like table reads of your work. You're not somebody that can just write in a vacuum. That's true. That's true. Because it's the it's that's the magic to me. Like that's the magic of hearing these things that have been in your head and heart, and suddenly you see them reflected on other people and go, oh, that resonates, that doesn't, and you sort of follow those paths yeah you make it sound so easy you go that resonates I mean, like hearing it the audience laugh is my favorite thing i know it's world. addictive it's so addictive sitting there and you know even even if you get the act or those moments when an actor's like i don't i don't think this is right like i don't want to do this i'm like trust me it's hilarious just do it do it yeah. one time and if you and if the audience doesn't laugh we'll change it and then yeah. you know getting those yeah, a visual or something that you know it's not just the script it's not just the actor but it's the whole thing combined and then uh the audience 400 people uh are warriors laugh, yeah. laughter it's fantastic conversely yeah. like you made it sound easy when when something doesn't land on an audience you're just like oh that hurts i don't like this i don't like oh, it yeah. oh yeah okay well tell me two things first of all how do you get artists to trust you because i think you're right like saying something like just try it and artist is like, yeah, easy for you to say because you're not on stage or on camera. I'm the one that looks like egg on my face. So how do you well, nurture we've that? We've talked process? about this before, I think, leading, like shepherding, yeah. leading from behind. I love so that. If I ever, because it's the actors that are on stage, you know, you have to pick a good actor and then you really don't have to do too much except for why enjoy watching them do, right. you know, read the brilliant script you've also picked. Right. Um, but uh, most of the time I would let them follow their own instinct. Mm -hmm. And then even if there was a disagreement, I think it should be this way. I think it should be that way. 
they get to do their way mm. first and sometimes always and then they would come back to me and say okay let's try your way or I can't I can't get this moment and I'll try this and then it will lead into that yeah I think you have a really good relationship with your gut <laughs> that sounds so <laughs> weird but I think you do like I think you listen to your gut a lot I think that probably serves you I guess in this realm, I can accept that. Well, here, okay, here's a question. Maybe not in the grocery store. I don't know. If I <laughs> you come back from the grocery store with chocolate and chips. You're like, this is not, this is, not I've listened well. to the wrong part of my gut. <laughs> yeah. So has there been a time in your past when you've, you've ignored your instincts and it has, uh, to your detriment or vice versa, when you were like, no, I believe, I believe, I believe my gut and it served you? Yes, I don't know if ignored my instincts or, you know, I might have let a couple of white men tell me how a casting of a certain play was going to go. And mm -hmm. I don't know that it ended up wrong, but I still think that my choices were right. Right. So, yeah, a couple of times. And, you know, I remember. Um, I don't know if this is the answer to the question, but I do love this story. When I was very young and blonde, I had to, um, this is not natural hair color, by the way. Um, <laughs> we, uh, no, one, no one's judging, everyone loves it. <laughs> I had to hire an older actor. And of course he came in with the, oh my goodness, this kid is not gonna know, you know, right. I've been doing this for years. <laughs> you know, I will show you how it's yes. done in the theater. And I invented again, imagination. I thought, yeah. oh, he's going to have to figure it out. I'm also not going to fight with him. Right. He's going to figure out that I'm trying, he's going to be able to trust me. And then I'm going to follow his instincts and, and have creative choices and have clear ideas. Right. And, and that's usually what ends up happening. Although sometimes they win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, uh, if I knew, if I knew then what I know now kind of feeling. Yeah. But we gotta, we gotta go through that. Yeah. When was the time that you stood up for yourself in like an artistic capacity and had victory over it? Cause I also think as women in the arts, less now more than, like we had to have pretty sharp elbows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I always, Things like this always bring me back to drinking with Persephone. It's just like mm -hmm. there was no stopping us. Yeah, it didn't it's matter magical. what what came. It didn't mm -hmm. matter. We were we were doing it because it was so easy to stand behind. I do remember sitting beside Kim Collier of the Electric Company. Love Kim Collier. Yeah, and um, I can't remember. It was some event, and we were sitting right beside each other. And somebody on the stage was you know running a panel, and they said you know about the competition between directors especially women. Don't you feel that way, Kim? And she looks at me, no, I don't feel that way. Do you feel that way? And I said, your success is my success, girl. They got it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so when's the time that I stood up for myself? I don't know. I'll have to stew on that one, I think. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll follow this one up. We'll do a follow-up chat about like the time. I just think, I just think those kind of pivotal moments are defining because it's the time you take your art into your own hands a little bit. Well, it's always that though. It's always the negotiation of um, being a people pleaser. And I was going to say right the same thing. thing. I know. I was going <laughs> to use the exact same term though. I think we, 
I think it's easy to become just a people pleaser and then you lose sight of what's important, which is putting the art first. But in that, you can use the people pleasing. Go on, I'm listening. Way to stand up for yourself, you know? I just got to weave it together. It's just yeah. an endless dance of all yeah. those things coming together. I can't complain too loud, but I'm going to get right. what I need. I mean, I know also like as you're, as you move forward in this career, you're also adjusting again, like you're sort of coming into being a developer, you're doing script consultations, one with Firecracker Department, but that's also so exciting. And the script workshop that is coming up, does that fuel your own writing or does that uh, take away from the energy that you have for your own work? You know, it's a little bit of both. It's always so inspirational. Yeah. Mostly I've worked with women and, you know, these people showing up and getting their stuff done and meeting the deadlines is, is, is inspirational. Yeah. Uh, but it is exhausting. <laughs> There's so yeah. it's, it's a lot. But you know what a gift. My full time, my job, my gig is art. So yeah. yeah. And you know, I truly am a baby writer. So just finding a solo project writer. So uh-huh. even though I've worked on a million scripts, yeah. my, the the time it is it's it's work like it is for for everybody else to show up at the chair. Yeah, sit down and write it out. Yeah, it's also your voice though too. Like, do you feel like you can have a voice through other people's work? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, How have you found that? Just, I think what I was saying before, the director kind of disappears. Uh-huh. So you know, just see, seeing people laugh when something that I've placed there, and it's almost like being a mother. It's one of those thankless, uh-huh. thankless jobs. Just like I put all of myself into that. And look she's got an award isn't that nice (laughs) right well I mean I could imagine and like I think people recognize you for your work and your contribution but I'm sure there's times when they don't and they're like yeah I wrote this script and you're like not without me buster yeah yeah exactly exactly that that happened to me I worked with uh, Dennis Simpson and Mm -hmm. he had a one-person show called Dennis Anyone that went from Fantastic. that went from a fringe show onto the arts club stage and he needed a dramaturg and I sat and every day or three times a week or something I had the great pleasure of sitting with Dennis Simpson and hearing his life stories and forming them into wow. uh I know and then I mean well then- for him too to have something like <laughs> your heart and brain I was because I think just a sidebar but like everybody's got a story in their mind that they're like oh this would make a great show or this but to have somebody like you that can help not only pull the story out but organize it in a story is like what a gift you gave to him but for some reason at that time right dramaturg was nobody right so even they want they only wanted the original collective in the credits right so you had to flip to the back of the program I was on the last page no yeah how do you wrestle with that take it on the chin. I didn't know to stand up for myself at that time. Or, you know, I was so grateful for the work and hang out with Dennis Simpson Yeah, that I was just like, okay. Yeah. You wouldn't stand for that now. Oh yeah. I guess not. I guess not. Well, would you, I don't know. Like if you saw you weren't getting your, you know, being valued for your work, wouldn't you, wouldn't you step up? I would. (laughs) I feel like that was a confidence. (laughs) Uh, Okay. See, I think we're not in practice. I think we don't have the practice to stand up for ourselves, And we have to, whenever something comes up like that, honestly, like conflict, I'm not a fan of conflict. But when I see conflict come up, 
I go, this is a great opportunity to practice. <laughs> well, you know, I actually um, practice uh, conflict theater at UBC, which is uh, based on Augusta Boal. And uh, my husband goes, conflict theater? You hate conflict. He doesn't sound like you like <laughs> what that What is that? What but, do you mean conflict theater? Well, it's Augusta Boal. So it was born of farmers were the actors. They had, there was a rebellion and they needed to fight back against whoever the oppressors were. So Augusta Boel had them on stage recreate the scene of oppression. And it's a, like a tiny three minute scene. And then somebody from the audience yells, stop. And, and then a facilitator gets that person to go on stage and replace the oppressed person and say what they should have said. Oh, great. It's like an improv game. Or what they could have said. So I, I hooked up with a group at UBC who does this through their HR department and Tom Schuld is the what, professor in the theater department there. And it's a practice. We, we practice the uh, methods of Augusta Boal and David Diamond is a local guy who has done it for years. Mm-hmm. So I too sometimes look at conflict that comes up as an opportunity because I'm going to practice some of these tools that I learned. Which side note? Another side lesson for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so mostly it's listening. Now. Yeah, <laughs> so funny that's, the <laughs> that's the skill. You, you talked at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did you say about listening? Um, yes. People need to feel <laughs> listened to. Uh huh. So well, all the exercises we do, all these, and they are geniuses at UBC. The conflict, the coaches, these beautiful people, all these studies that they've done. And the methods that they do every time I go, mm, this one's come down to just listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really just need to listen to the other person. So that's what I find most useful is to make sure the other person feels heard. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much because I remember having a discussion. And when I say discussion, I use the term loosely with a friend of mine. And basically they were just talking. They were just talking. They needed to vent. They needed to tell me about their life. And at the end of the hour, I was like, I'm going to go. And they were like thrilled with our time together. <laughs> they thought they'd have the best time. And, you know, I'm, and in my heart, I'm like, well, you didn't find out anything about me. So our friendship is, is now imbalanced. But then I also recognize, as you said, like the, the value of just being a really good listener makes the person feel so, I don't know, I'm trying to physicalize what I want to say here, <laughs> but I don't have the right word, but like just void, void. Yeah. And again, another side note, you're a little bit tricky that way, Naomi Sneakers. You're very generous. You ask a lot of questions. You but get you know, people talking. Podcast. This is a podcast, Lisa. You have to understand. <laughs> no, but I've had it in phone me. conversations with you before. I'm like, hey, I've talked this whole time and I barely asked her any questions. Let's hear, let's hear more about Naomi. I am tricky though. You're not wrong. And that's a very well-trained skill that my mother taught me of avoiding talking about yourself. Yeah, I'm tricky. I get it. <laughs> But also, this is a podcast. This is all about you. Yes, this in this case. But <laughs> this and also, show. it's the skill of theater, right? The actors, you have to be listening to each other. Yes. Yeah. The, the uh, yeah, improv, directing, whatever it is, everybody needs to be heard. Yeah. And that's the tricky part of a conflict is you, we know in theater is the antagonist doesn't know that they're the antagonist. They're fighting for what they, they're their protagonist yes. in their own yes. story. Right. So. I love that. You're right. They don't go like, I'm the antagonist. I'm the protagonist. They don't know. No. I love that. Who did you get your heart and head from? Your mom or your dad? What were your Well, you know, I'm the youngest of five. 
So um, my dad was a very funny, brilliant, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit flamboyant. Um, yeah. <laughs> he liked to dress in costumes. And oh, great. Yes. He loved to travel. And as a lawyer, you know, actually, I noticed that one time when uh, as a teenager, I had to go and work in his office for the summer. And he was in his office with two people. And I was listening. I was just in the next room. I wasn't eavesdropping or anything. I could just, and I was like, well, where did dad go? I, I can hear three voices, but I, I can't hear him. And then I realized it was, you know, he was accessing sort of a performer in himself wow. to, to present to these people to get the job done. I'm like, wow, I didn't even recognize his wow. voice. Yeah. And then my sister Shannon um, is a teacher. And I think, well, it's the same. You're standing, all three of us are uh -huh. standing and sharing and listening. And you have to tell me your thing and then I'm going to share my stuff. So it's all, it's all kind of the same. But my mother also very funny and very artistic and so nice. Mm. You know, just such a classy, uh, she certainly didn't like conflict mm -hmm. so maybe that's what made her so nice <laughs> she, right. couldn't, she couldn't bear she couldn't bear any conflict so, what were your parents names uh my dad was dave lafferty which is the same as my brother nephew and grandparents fantastic and my mother is isabel her name was margaret isabel but she went by isabel yeah and i know you lost your mom recently and you yes. don't have to if this is too much to chat about but i'm you know, because you and I both are in this chapter, this journey of grief right now. And I'm curious to know where you've put it in, in connection with your art. Well, <laughs> um, you know, my, my mother-in-law passed away a few years ago as well. And mm -hmm. she was just such a fantastic character that she's in several of my pieces no kidding no yeah kidding. she yeah. I can't keep her out and so once she shows up it's pretty easy to put my mom and my dad and whoever else story lots of their stories are in there too so it's pretty easy to access mm -hmm. that what about your grief like you know the expression of turning your broken heart into art and I I I don't know how possible that is for everybody. And I wondered if that's something that came easy to you or does come easy to you. Um, I don't know if I'm quite there yet or yeah. if I can identify it super clearly that that's, there's a, a correlation between the two. Because mm -hmm. often I, I think about like the year that we've all had and the challenges that you and I have spoken about within, you know, mourning, but also family dynamics and things like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's some people that are, would have written a, like a, a book by now, would have written right. a show by now. Right. And as you said, like there's times that you need to just sort of sit with it, let it uh, like meditate on it. Do you feel like that's coming for you or do you feel, can you feel a sense of opening up to a direction to put it? Maybe, you know, my family suffered a tragedy of the loss of my stepson when he was 21, about six years ago. Mm -hmm. And that feels like it's too much grief to put on the page, you know, yeah. like, I don't know. And I had actually written a play about him before our relationship before that. It's the kind yeah. of um, Eliza Doolittle. He, he, and I'm Henry Higgins. He needed help in high school. Not that he wasn't a genius. He was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, um, he just, the practice of doing homework and all that yeah. stuff. He sort of needed me ruling him through it. So I wrote a, my fair lady with, 
<laughs> reverse roles yeah. basically he and i so i've thought of revisiting that because that's the kind of a true story and it, it shows you know my love for him mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you know what we shared this journey that we shared together that made us love each other um giving ourselves to each other in in that way and working together mm -hmm. and so much fun uh, but the grief i don't know i don't know i do write a lot of comedy so I'm not sure yet where the grief I don't is either. going. I was hoping you had all the answers, Liesl. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, yeah. I think I think losing my stepson it just is so huge. It it's is something yeah. that you don't get over. Kind of overshadows some of the other type of grief. So I, it, it delays. Also, my my mom passed away, and I wasn't able to be with her because of yeah. COVID. Yeah. So normally I would have gone and taken care of her period and been there the whole time and then i didn't go to the funeral so i know that i'm not done yeah just with the grief my my mother-in-law passed away at, at the same time four days after my stepson i didn't know that yeah so, so my husband lost his son and his mother oh she was dying his was an accident yeah so um but i her this my mother-in-law like i said she's she's in there she can yeah. she will not leave my writing alone because <laughs> she's so hilarious and such a character yeah yeah i don't know i i think i'm with you on that too that there'll be a time maybe when my heart opens up and i, I go oh that's that's where that story needs to live i wrote a pitch for um actually did we talk about yeah we talked about this pitch about my mom who had dementia and i pitched it in the networks like we don't really think this is a comedy <laughs> And I was like, there's so much humor. Yeah, a friend of mine's husband had um, a stroke and she said it was the funniest thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my so, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't have any answers, but I, I think you're right to like keep, you're milling it, you know, like you're, you're, you're turning it around to see where it lands. Yeah, I don't think I shy away from it. No. I, I'm, a, I'm open to it and I, I don't, you know, the stepson passing away just um, taught me so much about grieving and also being a, like, I'm somebody who's not afraid to cry in public, right? Yeah. Because I, uh, you know, we're theater people, <laughs> so you're emoting, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it doesn't matter, you have to cry in public, that's the job. Yeah. So, but, you know, with my stepson, I had to do a lot of the crying in public, going to the court and the, yeah. the will and the this and the that. So, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not afraid to access it and show it and go through it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I welcome, I welcome it because that is where they are. Agreed. Yeah, I know I do too. I kind of miss like crying daily about my, my mom and pop right now. Cause I'm like, oh, I, I miss like having that memory. And then sometimes, you know, it ebbs and flows. You'll see somebody that is wearing, you know, their hat a certain way or smirking a certain way and you connect to it. And your dad is more recent. Do you find any of any art coming from that story? Nice try, Lafferty. This is your podcast. Um, <laughs> do I? I mean, you know, he was in that pitch that I wrote too. That I'll probably re. I'll relook at. Um, I don't know. You know, art comes in different ways too. We're gonna. I'm gonna start a scholarship uh, fund for him, and then for my mom as well. So I think that will give me a good place to put my energy for that kind of thing because it'll be artistic you know we can't you can't help but create art he was an organic chemistry professor and he was like i'm an artist and he gave me a for christmas many years ago he gave me like a framed molecule like <laughs> that he had designed and you know i get it so uh, maybe that i don't know 
I think I'm with you that I'm trying to be um, gentle with the process and not demand myself to like create right out of the gate. My stepson's name was Holden too, by the way. I like the I love idea. Hearing. You asked the name of my mom, so. I do. I love hearing people's names. I think it's important to recognize, as you said, like when you speak about them, even if there's grief and even if we cry through it, cry through it. Let's talk about Holden. Like what was the lesson that Holden gave you? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, he's a step son. Mm -hmm. So even though I have a lot of nieces and nephews and had lots of experience, it was my parental experience. The same with yeah. my, so all of the parental lessons and, you know, that interesting world of people always say, oh, they got that from their mom. They got that from their dad. And I'm like, guess what? He got that from his stepmom. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? you know? yes. It's, 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 uh, we're, we're uh, an orbit but uh, I know that I was impactful in his life and uh, he certainly was in mine. Yeah, I keep his picture as my screensaver. Oh uh, yeah, I see funny. that. Yeah. yeah, because then whenever I talk about him, I want people to know his name and to see, to see his picture. Yeah, and also to um, celebrate the fact that he could grow that beard because yeah. that is not easy. It's <laughs> a good beard. Not easy. I love, I love, I love that so much. So um, it's funny that you should bring that up because even when I just said like your mom and your dad, and this kind of circles back to what we're talking about casting, because I know that you had a mom and dad, but why not speak of like, what are your influences as opposed to mom and dad? Cause you could have had two moms. You could have had right. two dads. Exactly. You could have had a stepmom. You know, I think that's another lesson for me to like, to keep our brains open. Right. Yeah, I do. I do have oh, actually my stepdad is still alive. And we're still very close. He was married to my mom for 40 years. Oh, so, okay. yeah. That's, I, yeah. I, you know, I lived in their house with them. So there's definitely lessons to learn from him as well. I'll tell you one thing that I really Please. admire about my stepfather, Guy, mm -hmm. is never had debt. Never. Mm -hmm. Made the Wait, money. Did he buy a house right flat out? No. Nope. Yes. Like a, like a briefcase Anything. full of money. Here's the money for the house. <laughs> He's an engineer. <laughs> He's an engineer. So he had a good gig. Wow. For sure. That's incredible. So I'm excited about my, let, let's talk about firecracker activities. You've come into the firecracker core at a really pillar time right now, as we meld the script department and the writing department and you and um, Fran Caviello are taking the reins. What, what does that mean to you to be involved in something like this? Uh, well, I really love the opportunity for me because I gain from it. Um, financially, I volunteer, uh, I have to do administration and I get to do art. So it's kind of the whole package deal. It's, uh, it's a culmination of everything I've always been doing. Mm -hmm. So that makes it fun and easy. And, you know, to be able to access that experience and go, we need this, this, and this, and this has to go then. And here's what this looks like. Not that it's the be all and end all, but it's always open to feedback and, and uh, contributions. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about, you know, we do this uh, quarterly script reading series. So it's always fun to share and having people's script read in front of an audience mm -hmm. because then they get so much out of it. And I love actors are always so willing to show up and read their, read their right. parts. And then the supportive audience comes and, uh, you know, dips their toe in giving feedback yeah. and, and joins the conversation. And so that's super fun. 
I do love that. I just have to say like that, that, like that whole team of folks that are um, developing the script reading series, it's such a specific place to be challenged as an audience member to give feedback, you know, and to actually like voice your opinion and, and have it land somewhere where folks are like, oh, that's interesting. So I love what you and Farah and Sarah Deacons earlier and Tendi and Lauren and Rebecca are creating. Yeah, and now we have Mika Collins and Amanda yes on our team too yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, it's one of the things i love about the firecracker department too is there's a combination of so much free stuff and community stuff and then there's some paid stuff too i actually really love the mentorship this isn't my department but it's something <laughs> i really loved about you're allowed to, to support <laughs> the other departments it's not like being a um, trainer so when you ask me some of your firecracker questions later in a, in a second, some of them are going to be answers from the mentors from that day. Oh, you're day. just going to lift them. You're going to take I'm going them to repeat them because they're so valuable. I have I my own it. too. You've done your research. Something I didn't participate in last year is the short story challenge. So that seems super fun to have a couple of elements of a story that people have to write 500 words and to read a bunch of those and have a winner. We do writing bursts on Thursday and those are really fun. You know, I, I found at first, I thought I should be writing instead of responding to a series of prompts. Mm -hmm. So I did. It. I remember. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it. you came in. You're like, I'm going to work on this character. I'm trying to find the yeah. verse. I did it from the point of view of my character, but then I also just did it like a regular person because it's so valuable to, you got five minutes, here's your prompt. And to be able, like, I just love to write, try to write to the clock and end with a punchline and, you know, to have just never, don't stop. It's just yeah. really good exercise. Like it's like a little workout, a little meditation or something. Yeah. It's like a writing gym. And then I do these free consultations, which actually a lot of people do, but <laughs> I do them a little bit more actively send out the, the word, especially during when COVID started. Yeah. People start to offer things for free. I could see plays from the national mm -hmm. in London and things in New York. You could see art galleries. And I thought, oh, I'm going to offer my thing for free. And sure enough, I got to talk to people from all around the world. It was so interesting and so fun. And, you know, it didn't matter what you were talking to earlier. It almost didn't matter what their idea was. I could get behind it because they were in. Yeah. So, yes. You know, like, so there was this guy doing an um, AR, an augmented reality script. And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know too much about that. <laughs> but I did, I did learn about it. But I, I, it's just so easy. People, if you're brave enough to show up. Yes. Then it's going to be pretty easy to champion you. Mm -hmm. And then, I love what you just said. I just want to, like, something you just said really resonated with me, which is like, it's when people care, I'll care. Yeah. Like, and so if you're writing a script or if you're doing a show and you're like, Ugh, I'm in this show anyway, it's not very good. And I don't really want to do it. I'm not coming to see that show. And if you develop your script in the same sort of lacking in, in passion, I'm not going to read it. It's like when people give me a script and they're like, um, I don't really know what I'm doing, but here it is. I'm like, I don't care that you don't know what you're doing. I just want you to care. Yeah. One Sunday waking up and I had to work and I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and, and there was only 15 minutes of the brunch left. And I thought, oh, I won't go to brunch today. I'm grumpy. And, and then I thought, no, brunch is exactly what I need 
because I'm going to go there. I don't, I won't have to say anything, but it's going to, it's going to turn me. And of course it did you get a little people, little love surrounding you. And you can I love that. It. Yeah. We did the brunch every Sunday and that's incredible to me that it started. Joanne Boland initiated it when the COVID first happened. Cause we all came together and went, what are we doing? We're supposed to be developing a community. How do we come together? And Joanne was like, why don't we have a brunch? And that started, and then Alyssa Abler took it over and has been hosting it for like over a year. And every every week, new people come and then there's some repeat folks, but it is a place that you can go and it'll shift. It'll shift things, you know, for the better because they're all, they're all your people. Yeah, or you can just go and hang. Like mo mo mostly I'm in a great mood and I just show up, hi everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Grab a coffee, don't, yeah. put your, don't change your clothes, wear your pajamas. Well, you're, you're fueling a lot of fires, Lisa Lafferty. Yes. And then the script writing workshops we're starting is yeah, something that I've been doing that. for seven years. And so I facilitate over Zoom, like eight people, women or non-binary folks or the firecracker. And that is a very fulfilling, super fun job. Uh, mm -hmm. Writers really benefit from it. They always report the deadlines really help mm -hmm. as well as once again, the community. So you get to hear your material read and you get feedback from the whole, your peers, the whole group. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Cause I know, you know, it's, you give people specific attention. I've done writing work, workshops or uh, longer term classes before that I feel like you kind of get your word, but it's so quick and it doesn't feel as um, nurturing as I know you, you do. Yeah, I had a woman last time from, I love this, this is the farthest reaching. She's from Greece. She's taken so many of these workshops and that this is the best way this, to yeah. do it with so much time on each piece and, and the nurturing aspect. One of my profs at UBC said, um, I'm not going to judge you. The world is going to judge you. I'm going to support you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's what I do. I and see. also you're doing a good job judge, judging yourself. So yeah, exactly. as you know, don't, don't put one more on that list. Once again, you um, showed up. Congratulations for showing right? up. You're amazing. I love, I love that what you said, like, I think there is so much bravery in just showing up to things, whether it's in a difficult situation, like, you know, in our discussion about grief or whether it's a, a skill that you're not necessarily hundred percent confident about, but just to show up, just, just arrive and then see what happens. Which reminds me about grief. If I can just pass yeah. on a friend, I'd love a it. little griever um, <laughs> to another, to the, to, the, uh, <laughs> to people who aren't grieving. No, people always say they don't know what to say. And I found that if you cobble together three words, that's enough. Yeah. One of my other nephews said to me, you know, I'm not very good at this. I don't know what to say when Holden passed away. And I, I said, man, you're talking to me. This is yeah. so good. You've already done it. You've already done it. You've already done it. And then mm -hmm. he said, all I can think of is he was so lucky to have you. I was like, you said the perfect thing. Is what happened. <laughs> you didn't know what to say, but you nailed it. Oh. So, so if you come across somebody who's grieving, don't say, I don't know what to say. Don't say there are no words, man. I don't like that one. Say, say that man. Yeah. They were so lucky to have each other. Yeah. Or just get needs. messy. Like I honestly, I'm the same <laughs> as you. Like I had people that stepped in. I had people that stepped out when my parents died. And I, I honestly, I don't care that you say the right thing. I just care that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's turn the tables and you get to ask me a question and then let's uh, do our wrap up questions. 
Okay, so you may have been asked this before. So I have two, just in case you have. But I want to know your funniest, your favorite brush with greatness. You're an actor, you've been uh, in a million things, you've met a million stars. Did you meet, or were you just on an airplane one time and, and run into somebody? I mean, gosh, Liesl, I'm so awkward that every time I run into anybody, I have awkward. Like we were doing a 50th anniversary at Second City and we were backstage getting ready because they had a bunch of scenes and I was off stage getting ready for my scene and in walks Amy Sedaris, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. And I just looked at them and I went, bah! <laughs> and that was my way of saying, you inspire me, you changed my life. And I just said, bah! Um, and then the other one was when I was in the uh, Tate Modern Museum in England and walking around with my brother and uh, Alan Rickman was in one of the little areas. And I was like, that's Alan Rickman. Like, I don't, I don't need to like, I mean, we didn't take a picture or anything like that. I don't need to have like, look, I met Alan Rickman. I just need him to know that he's changed my life because of his work. And so, so it was so awkward. So I went over to him and I, he was looking at, I think he was with his mother or something. And we were both looking at the same piece of art. I wasn't looking at it because I was just thinking, how do I say hi to this man and tell him he's changed my life. And uh, I just said, I just wanted to let you know that I, uh, I really enjoy your work and uh, you really moved me with your performance in this, that, and the other movie. And, uh, and you really altered my life greatly. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Little pause. I'm an actress from Canada. <laughs> no reason. <laughs> so awkward. To which he quickly looked and went, all right. And then I tailed it out of there. <laughs> so um, we did not work together. Anyway, but that was sort of my two brushes with greatness so far. Uh, I, live with the, I live with Matt Barham, so I have daily brushes with greatness. I have a full circle story because I had almost exact same story with Stephen Burkhoff. I was in no. a theater and he was in the audience. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't watch the play. No, I couldn't even remember I what couldn't play it was. My, <laughs> I couldn't get my eyes off him. Yeah. And then afterward, um, I waited. Yeah. I went out first and I waited for him to come up and I went over and shook his hand and said, you changed my life. And he said, thank you very much. See? I didn't that's, blurt out anything silly. Yeah, so. But that's the thing about like just showing up. Like I do think that if your intention is good, so if your intention to like help somebody who's grieving is good, it, it'll come out. If your intention of meeting somebody that has changed your life, it'll come out. If you want to just be like, hey, can I get a picture for my wall of celebrities? Go, go on with you. You know, I, you know who I met is Brent Carver, who hmm. is, for those folks who aren't listening, he's one of the greatest I, I think one of the greatest, I was going to say Canadian actors, but I think he's just, his work is other level. Um, and I remember seeing him and I'd just seen him in High Life and I saw him in Unidentified Human Remains. And he maybe was one of the reasons I became an actor because I could see where you could go as an actor. Because he had this monologue in High Life and he took a pause in the monologue and he started to weep. And I remember going, I did not see that coming. And he didn't, he created that moment because of the depth he went. Anyway, he blew my mind. I went up to him and I, again, I was catering at an opening night of a, of a show or something like that. I was working and I went over to him and I said, I just want to let you know that I think you might be one of the reasons I'm an actor. And he said, oh, that's, oh, that's what, what, uh, what, kind of, what kind of stuff do you do? And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing like young people's theater, kids shows. He was like, oh, I love kids theater. And then he started talking about my kids theater career. 
So, you know, take the moment, take the moment to say you've changed my life. I think it's important. I have one with uh, David Fox. Oh, and love of David course, Fox. Recently yes. passed. No so much. way. University and he initiated. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it was so casual and beautiful. He's leaving a fringe venue and going to the same fringe venue that I was. And we were just two people walking along the streets. And I'm like, you don't understand who you are versus who I am. You don't get it right now. You are the farm show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky though, like in this world too, that we get to work with folks, you know, like that are our idols, like, like Paul Thompson who created farm show, you know, Matt and I've worked with him through our company and uh, National Theatre of the World. And then also like Robin Williams came to one of our sets once and performed with us for like an hour. Like we had those experiences that um, make you feel like you're pretty lucky, lucky to be in this, in this world. That's cool. Yeah, I could go on. Okay, here's the wrap up questions. Um, brushes with greatness, Lisa Lafferty. Thank you very much. <laughs> you. Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is? A firecracker is somebody who shows up ready. Yeah. Or just shows up. Shows up. The shore uppers and <laughs> ready to work. It doesn't have the same ring to it, the shore uppers, but I'll, <laughs> we'll whiteboard that one. Um, what do you want to be best known for? Well, just all the things really that we've talked about, the open hearted, showing up with a smile, um, positivity, uh, finder of silver linings. Mm. Yes. And person yeah it's working so far so if there like was a movie and um this is like the final scene what has been like a turning point like a a climactic turning point in your in your life that changed your world forever is it too cheesy to say <laughs> meeting my husband no in fact that's exactly the right answer oh my god he's a great guy oh my goodness we couldn't be bigger fans of each other it's ridiculous i sometimes we're out in public i mean not in the past two years no but even if we're just walking on the seawall he makes me laugh in a way that I think people around us, it seems like I'm faking. I go, you know, like <laughs> I, I burst out laughing. And I think, I, I look around, I think people think we're on our first date and I'm just trying to impress this guy. But it's 20 years later. Isn't that um, awesome? So to have such a fan, it was uh, really important and to be equal fan of his so much mm -hmm. respect and love. And then he also made me a parent by bringing me to stepchildren. Okay, not to turn it to um, lemons, but how, cause I'm curious, but how, uh, this isn't normally how you and I function. Usually it's like lemonade, but how do you two fight? Uh, <laughs> for two fans. <laughs> we don't fight okay <laughs> all right no. next question yeah how do we fight you know we really don't fight as much anymore mm -hmm. again once your stepson dies there's nothing else that's important period mm -hmm. right but uh we used to fight well, i don't know i guess every once in a while it was yelly mm -hmm. not, not very what often. was the conflict like i because i just want to i just recognize that like what an amazing thing to have this fan club couple. And let's be realistic that there are, there's still conflict. We have conflict in our life. So what kind of conflict and how do you resolve it? I'll tell you one thing. When everybody says, especially at a shower, don't go to bed angry. I put out my hand and I say, he stays angrier for longer than me. So I go to bed. <laughs> 
he's he stays up angry <laughs> um he's gonna listen to this and want me to cut it out but um <laughs> but that's I, okay I, that's natural too like i get it too we you know matt and i function differently as well i'm perfectly happy to go to bed <laughs> angry <laughs> you may never sleep otherwise yeah exactly yeah. exactly and you know it's the trust that I he's going to be there when I wake up, you know, it's going to be okay. But we have different timing. Yeah. So that's the way I've navigated it. I love it. What's uh, something that people don't know about you? Well, my secret power is finding things. What do you mean? <laughs> it doesn't matter what's lost. If it's findable, I can find it. I can retrace my own steps. I can retrace other people's steps. Oh. I can find what is lost. Okay, I'm missing a locket. Okay. I had I lost it somewhere between Halifax and Toronto. Yes. And it has a picture of Matt and I inside oh, it from our show so Carnegie cute. Hall. Gone. It's been gone for years. Look, <laughs> if you can find that for me, I would love, love All it. All right. Okay. I'm on it. One um, time my friend, yeah. uh, we were, I lived on a farm and we were in the stalls. We were spreading the, the straw around after cleaning. The, and she lost her grandmother's diamond ring in a haystack. Oh and oh my uh, God. yeah, it didn't, took me about 10 seconds to find that one. And then she said, this is in my will. We were 16. She didn't have a will. And I'm pretty sure, and she's fabulously wealthy now, but I'm pretty sure that that ring is in her will. Wow. <laughs> wow. What has been your favorite mistake? Spending too much energy on the wrong people. Yep. See, you got it right. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure on that question. I feel a little sweaty. What's some advice that you've got that was the best advice, but I also want the worst advice you've ever okay. received. Okay. My dad used to say, don't let the bastards get you down. Yeah. Which is always a good one. And uh, he, I don't think he ever gave this to advice. It was an observe. He was observing himself, work hard to make things easy. Yeah. That's a little How thing. says that in our communication department? She says that. Yeah. Yeah. What's a light? A light that you can shine on another firecracker. It's so tempting to say, you know, my mom and I have uh, all those nieces and nephews. So I wanted to highlight the nieces, but I think I can boil it down to my stepdaughter is quite a good light. You know, she was surprised when she was young to hear that I try to be a better person because of her. Mm. And she makes me a better person. She's a good person. <laughs> I just love how she's so fun and talented. And she's a musician. She's bilingual. She's an athlete. She's, you know, got the highest grades. She's ridiculous. <laughs> she's What's so her name? Good. Her name's Sophia. Yeah. And she couldn't be fun her to hang mm. out with. Like, she's just a, a blast. It feels like... Uh, you know, an extension of me. And she turned out to be, she went to uh, university, she got a dual degree, poli sci and English lit degree. She's a Shakespeare nut. She couldn't be a better dramaturge. Wow. I, I basically got a little carbon copy of my skill set and she reads my material and tells me notes. Amazing. The perfect, perfect notes. <laughs> amazing, amazing. If you could choose one thing, what would you say to a young Lisa Lafferty? Don't let the bastards get you down. You got to do a lot of things. Plate spinning is how you always put it. You're mm -hmm. just spinning a lot of plates and uh, create more content. Uh, don't judge yourself. Everything's going to be okay. Make art. Don't let things stand in your way. All that, all that whole section that they people continually say on this podcast, just yeah. uh, embrace your greatness and run with it. Mm.
Oh, I have a bonus question that you don't know about okay. because it's uh, it's lifted from a friend of mine, her podcast, Lisa Lafferty, maybe you've heard of her. It says, <laughs> how do you make a living as a theater artist? <laughs> it's funny, I was gonna use my, one of my questions to ask you as your question. So maybe I'll sneak that in at the end. How do you make a living? Well, you just scramble, right? You know, I love Brad Fraser's answer to that question. <laughs> I'll leave that uh, to- You can listen to that one. Yeah, you gotta listen to it. To yeah, yeah, that. it's a great, it's a great Brad Fraser response. Brad Fraser's just a great guest. I mean, Such the guy a great speaks guest. in, I'm so like, uh, okay, who's my first guest? Brad Fraser, it's gonna make yeah. my job so much easier. I love you. I love this I love discussion. You. I love that we have a reason to see each other more. I think you're so incredible and I'm really grateful for the work that you bring to Firecracker Department, but also just, you've just enriched my life just watching you work and watching how you function in this community. And you know, really I can't believe how happy I am and proud of, that, of what you've built. And it's such an incredible force. You give great meeting. It's always fun to be in a meeting with you because along with the business, there's always uh, chuckles and just the force, you know, the power of community and a yeah. community of women uh, is unstoppable yeah we're in this it's a it, when you say like you know like I might have started the ball rolling but I wouldn't be doing this without folks like you and Winnie Wong who's listening and just everybody it's amazing all right my friend go uh take on the world mwah, mwah, thank you mwah. thank you right you're the best I'm so happy we did this I'm so yeah, happy that too. people get like a big chunk of Lisa Lafferty on this show this is so great thank you so much yeah bye bye Great. I love, love, love sitting down with the heads of our department and getting to know them better. I mean, we have these meetings and you sort of get to know folks as we are building our firecracker department community, but it's just, <laughs> I want more. I want to ask Liesl the questions I just asked her. I want to find out other things that she's thinking about. I mean, if we were in person right now, we'd finish a meeting and then we'd all go out for drinks and have that opportunity to deepen those relationships. But we don't have that right now. So these podcasts are golden to me. For the latest updates on Liesl and also to hear her podcast, head over to LieselLafferty.com for all of that. And so that you're in the know for everything that's happening in the writing department and the whole Firecracker department, head over to our website at FirecrackerDepartment.com and if you haven't already, I mean, you gotta subscribe to our newsletter to get the inside scoop of all the upcoming events. You know, like writing bursts, mentorship workshops, wellness mini moments, script reading series, the social justice department workshops, our monthly blog, our weekly brunch. I mean, there's a lot going on and we sure would love to have you pull up a chair at the firecracker department table. Thank you so much for joining me and connecting with me either here or online. I sure appreciate it. I'm Naomi and I look forward to connecting with you next time on the Firecracker Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. Bye.